The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2021, on the basis of 1 John 4, verses 9 through 14. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So I was about to press send, but I was a little bit nervous. I wasn't sending some long and important email. I wasn't tweeting out some tirade on Twitter. I wasn't posting some big personal announcement on Facebook. Instead, I was ordering something on Amazon. And I was a little bit nervous. I was nervous because I had just read this article in the Washington Post that was all about this supply chain crisis that we've heard so much about this holiday season. The article made me nervous, not because I wasn't certain that what I was about to send would show up on time. In fact, there were big, bold, green letters on the website that assured me that as long as I ordered it in the next two hours and 37 minutes, it was going to show up by Christmas. No, I was a little bit nervous because of the implications of my actions. You see, that article in the Washington Post was about what some people have referred to as our just-in-time economy. In other words, if you go back all the way to the 1960s and, and kind of starting with the Toyota car company, manufacturers have moved more and more away from having these big, giant factories, I'm sorry, these big, giant warehouses with all kinds of idle inventory just sitting around. Instead, the goods that they make and the parts that they use to make those goods are part of this elaborate chain. And each part goes from one link in the chain to the next link in the chain only if and when it is needed, not a moment sooner. In other words, just in time. Now that has a result of making more profits for companies, but it also has the unfortunate side effect of making some less than ideal conditions for those companies' workers. Less than desirable working conditions, unpredictable hours, unreliable pay. These are just some of the implications of our just-in-time economy. And then, of course, as we've seen this year, as efficient as that supply chain can be, as profitable as it can be, it is also very delicate and fragile at times. You break a couple of links in the chain and all of the sudden, shelves are empty. People are waiting months for the items they purchased to arrive. You might think that pressing send, or in my case, pressing place order in order to send, is a pretty simple and relatively harmless action. And yet we live in a world where even the simplest of actions can have far-reaching consequences. Maybe it's something you're ordering online. Maybe it is an email, or a tweet, or a post. Pressing send, pressing click, just one stroke of a key, one click of a button, can impact people all over the world. And it can, and it can end up defining you for the rest of your life. And of course, once you press send, you can't just turn around and in, and in the next moment, unpress it. Even the smallest actions have far-reaching implications. And that can be a scary thing when it comes to us, but it's actually a really comforting thing when it comes to God. In the verses that are in front of us this evening, Jesus 
disciple John would actually love for us to spend some time pondering that very simple word, send. He wants us to think about that word, send, because of the far-reaching implications that it has, especially when God is the one doing the sending. You see, we all go through times in our life, in fact, maybe you're going through one right now, where you have questions like, what is God doing in my life? Where do I stand with him? Why is he allowing certain things to take place and what is his plan for my future? Those are big questions. Those are important questions. And yet the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John wants us to know that we have a very reassuring and very reliable answer to all of those questions, all because God pressed send at Christmas. In the verses that are in front of us this evening, John actually uses that word three separate times and each and every time the thing that is in question, the thing that is on the line, you might say, when it comes to this sending is God's love. Really, you could take all the big and important, question things about, uh, important questions about God and they all boil down to one simple question. Does God love me? Now, normally when we ask that question about someone else, it's sort of like, we are trying to piece together evidence for a criminal case. We're looking for all kinds of different reasons, all kinds of different types of evidence that we might then use to conclude, yes, so-and-so does in fact love me. In fact, you may be familiar with the concept of the five love languages. Hopefully I can get them all. There's words of affirmation, giving gifts, acts of service, quality time, and then physical touch. Five different ways that people demonstrate love for other people. Five different types of evidence that might cause someone to conclude, yes, so-and-so does in fact love me. God makes it much simpler than that. Listen to what John says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live him. Did you catch it? God sent his love, or I'm sorry, God demonstrated his love. He put his love on display by sending a person. And of course, that's exactly what happened at Christmas, right? At Christmas, that baby whose birth we are here to celebrate, that baby named Jesus wasn't just born, he was sent. As God's son, he already existed before that. In fact, he existed from all eternity. And so, yes, on Christmas he was born, but yes, on Christmas he was sent. He became a human being. And what that means is we do not need to go looking high and low, here, there, and everywhere for evidence that God loves us. Instead, we can just look at this one visible, obvious demonstration. God sent his son. We don't need to ask ourselves questions like, what is God doing for me right now? Is everything in my life going my way? We don't need to ask, what is God giving me right now? Do I have everything that I need or even everything that I want? We don't need to ask questions like, do I, do I feel that God is with me? Do I feel like I have his attention when I go to him in prayer? If that's where we had to look for evidence that God loves us, then we would be left with nothing better than that old silly game with the flower petals. One day, yeah, he loves me. But the next, he loves me not. God makes it so much simpler than that. He displays his love for us by sending a person. 
which means that all we have to do if we want to know if God loves us is look at that person. It means that every single thing that that child did, everything he would do, everything he would say, every action he would perform, every gift that he would give to us, every second of his life was a demonstration of God's love. God has put on display his love for us in a way that is truly up close and personal. He has shown that love personally and therefore permanently, all because he pressed send at Christmas. Well, so let's say you do that. You focus on this child, maybe even try and learn all about him. What exactly did this child go on to do? What are some of the things that he said? What are some of the things that happened in his life? What do you think you're going to see and find out? might seem like that's getting a little bit of a, ahead of ourselves. We're here tonight to just celebrate his birth. Maybe we should slow down a little bit. But unfortunately, the Apostle John doesn't let us slow down. Already, as he talks about Jesus' birth, about God sending his son into the world, John also wants us to know why God sent his son. He wants us to know the entire reason and the entire purpose for him coming. Really, that's important in general, right? When it comes to things that we receive, gifts that are sent, gifts that are given at Christmas. Actually, this past week, I, I did post something on Facebook. Some of you might have seen it. We were running low on Bibles here at church. And so I ordered a, a shipment of 25 so that we'd be able to replenish our supply. But instead of 25 Bibles, I found on my doorstep 25 copies of the Magnolia Table Cookbook with Joanna Gaines' picture right there on the cover. So I joked a little bit about what it would be like to use those cookbooks for the thing that I would normally use a Bible for, like as the basis for a sermon, for example. And of course, it would be just as silly to do the opposite, to take a Bible and use it as an instruction manual for preparing Christmas dinner. It's important to know the purpose for which a gift has been given and even before Jesus ever spoke his first word, even before Jesus took his first step, John wants us to know the entire purpose for which Jesus was sent. Here's what he says. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God sent Jesus not to be our personal spiritual guru, not to be some cosmic genie, not to give us everything that we ask for or to help us figure out how to live our best life. He came to be an atoning sacrifice for us. And because that is the case, in this gift that God sent, we also see love defined. Love is not just whatever we want it to be. Love does not simply mean accepting or even applauding someone no matter what they do and no matter how they live. No, love means that if you know what is best for someone and you desire what is best for someone and then you see that person living in a way that is either going to hurt them or hurt someone else, it upsets you. Those of you who are parents know this full well, right? When we see our kids doing things that are selfish or foolish or dangerous, we get angry at them not in spite of the fact that we love them, but because we love them. And God does the very same thing. God is the one who created us. He's the one who designed us. He knows what is best for us, and in fact, he's, 
He's written down what is best for us in his law, in his commands. And so when he sees us living contrary to those commands, he gets angry at us. The Bible even says that he is full of wrath toward us. Again, not in spite of the fact that he loves us, but because he loves us. And yet because he loves us, the payment that is needed for that anger, the payment that wrath requires is one that he is willing to take on himself. That's what an atoning sacrifice is. It's a a payment made to make a wrong right, to satisfy divine justice, to appease divine wrath. And that is exactly what Jesus came, not just to do or to give, that is what Jesus came to be. Probably shouldn't surprise us that John equates love with sacrifice. We often do the very same thing. In fact, recently I heard a story about an amazing sacrifice that someone made. It was almost Christmas back in 1934. John and Betty Stam were a couple of American missionaries serving over in China. China was in the midst of a civil war, and the Red Army of the Communist Party in China was advancing. They were gaining ground, and so American missionaries like John and Betty Stam were told to get out. They were told to seek safety. But for John and Betty Stam, it was too late. They were taken captive along with their three-month-old daughter, Helen. That night that they were taken prisoner, Helen was crying in their prison cell. There was a guard there that was threatening her, in fact, threatening to kill her if she wasn't quiet. But then another prisoner, an older man, in fact, he was a, a Chinese man, he stood up for Helen and he stood in the guard's way. And so the guard asked him, Ask this Chinese man, are you willing to die for this foreigner, for this American girl? He said, yes. And he was put to death instantly on the spot. It's an amazing sacrifice. We'd even say an amazing act of love. Not quite this, however. Not quite an atoning sacrifice. That would look like this. If somehow that Chinese prisoner had managed to turn the tables... He had taken the guard's sword away from him and then bound him, held him, and and held the sword up to his throat. And then if he had turned to John Stam and said, are you willing to die for this man who has taken you captive and who has threatened your daughter? And if John Stam had said yes, that would be getting closer to the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And in so doing, once again, he defined what love looks like. He defined what love is, all because God pressed send on Christmas. There's one more thing that John wants to call our attention to this evening. He wants us to realize that God's love was not limited in time. It was not limited to just this one act of sending that he carried out at Christmas. It wasn't as if, as soon as Jesus had offered his life as an atoning sacrifice, then that was it for God's love. It wasn't as if, as soon as Jesus went back up into heaven, then God's love went with him. No, John wants us to know that God's love has been unleashed on the world, and as a result, God's love is here to stay. God's love is here to stay, first of all, 
When we as people who have been loved turn around and love one another, and not according to our own definition, not in whatever way we choose, John says this, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God loved us in a very specific way, and that is how he wants us to love others as well. That if by reading God's word we know what is best for someone, we desire what is best for someone, and we see them wandering from that path, that it upsets us, even angers us. But that the price that is needed for that sin is one that we too are willing to take into ourselves. That we would show patience instead of a quick temper. That we would show forgiveness instead of seeking revenge. That we would extend compassion instead of cruelty. So God's love stays. God's love has been unleashed when we turn around and love one another. In fact, John says that that's when God's love reaches kind of its, its final goal, its completion. But God's love is also here to stay. When we have an unwavering and unending confidence, when we know that we remain in God's love and that God's love remains in us, Toward the end of these verses, John once again reminds us that no one has ever seen God. We cannot point to specific things that are happening in our world or in our lives and say, that's how I know that God loves me. Instead, John says, we have seen that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Again, he focuses our attention on a person. And because that's where God's love is found, we can always be certain that God's love is for us. Well, but what if I've done things that fill my heart with a sense of shame and guilt? What if I feel as though I just don't measure up to all the friends, all, all the classmates, all the coworkers that I have in my life? What if this holiday season just seems like a couple of days off from a daily routine that is otherwise joyless and seems to be pointless? What if I look at the road that is in front of me and all I see are things that cause me worry and fear? Or what if a couple of young American missionaries with a three-month-old daughter get taken captive and just a couple of days later are put to death? What if that three-month-old girl named Helen has to grow up and spend the rest of her life as an orphan? What if you were a person who was sort of in charge of the Christian missionary work that was going on in China and might even feel a little bit responsible for what happened? That's actually the whole reason I, I came to be aware of the story of John and Betty Stam. There's a pastor by the name of Frank Houghton who was helping organize the mission work taking place in China at that time. When he heard about what had happened to the two of them, you can imagine maybe what his reaction would have been. That he would have been greatly troubled, perplexed as to why God would allow something like this to happen. Maybe even angry that two people who are doing the work of the Lord, giving their lives to do this important work, have this end up happening to them. Maybe perhaps that the events even caused him to doubt God's love. Instead, as Christmas of 1934 rolled around, Frank Houghton wrote a hymn. 
It's a hymn that you're about to hear the choir sing in just a couple of minutes. It's called, Thou Who Wast Rich. It's a hymn addressed to Jesus, and it includes words like this. Thou who wast rich, beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. Thou who art God, beyond all praising, all for love's sake, becamest man. And finally, thou who art love, beyond all praising, Savior and King, we worship thee. Friends, no matter what question you might have, no matter what situation you might be facing, that very same confidence, that very same certainty, that very same reliable and reassuring answer about God's love can be yours. Does God love you? Of course he does. He pressed send at Christmas. Amen. Amen.